Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Jacob Daniel here, another episode of the Daniel 3 podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, episode 70, uh, it is a late April edition of the Colin Show. I haven't done one in a few months. Last time I did one was January. And uh, I didn't have, I had a light, uh, a light schedule this week. I didn't have a lot planned. And so I went to Twitter and uh, was reminded that I actually had somebody who I had scheduled to do a Colin Show a while back and Never got around to rescheduling it, so we're going to have him come up in just a minute, and we're going to have a conversation about borders, immigration, and sort of the the uh, dichotomy within libertarian thought on open versus closed. Um, he will be kind of coming from more of a closed borders perspective, and I will be defending more of an open, um, so we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, before we get into that, um, do a little bit of basic housekeeping. Of course, every episode I have to talk about my sponsor, Rabbit Eye Blueberry Wine. Uh, if Jesus was walking the earth today and, you know, in the middle of flipping tables or, uh, you know, feeding the crowds of 5,000 because they're a bunch of freeloading uh, vagrants that, that uh, Rothbard hasn't been able to clear off the streets, uh, he would be turning water into not grape wine but blueberry wine it'd be rabbit eye blueberry wine uh so check that out my good friend will bell who you guys probably know from the uh <laughs> he's in the comments i see uh trolling me a little bit uh he uh has <laughs> tried to uh assert that spider-man had a better morality than the bible um you know that's that's what you get uh you know listen listen get kids atheism 
that's what it does to your brain. Okay. But it, they still make good blueberry wine. What can I say? So, uh, but no, Will, Will's a good friend and, uh, um, and yeah, so we're, uh, you know, just, just messing with each other a little bit, but yeah, rabbit eye blueberry wine. This stuff is, uh, I'm not much of a wine drinker, but, uh, he's got me, he's got me into it. My, my poor Jack Daniels is sitting in my liquor shelf, uh, just, just collecting dust since I started drinking this blueberry wine. So, um, definitely, definitely check that out. Support, you know, support libertarian, uh, entrepreneurs, right? I mean, um, you know, I think that's definitely worth doing. Uh, whenever you can, whenever you can find a way to substitute going to the store and buying something with supporting libertarians, uh, that's, uh, I don't know. I think that's something that we should be doing as a movement. Um, website is going to be relaunched next week. Uh, we kind of finally got all the kinks worked out, but we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're past the main hurdle, but that's Daniel318.com. So, um, that'll be back up, uh, if you want to, if you're your first time watching the show or if you haven't yet, you know, click the subscribe button and uh, that way you'll be alerted to any future um, episodes I release. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Biblical Anarchy. As far as uh, what's coming up ahead, um, tomorrow I'm going to have a sort of uh, roundtable um, of other Christian anarchists, um, Caleb Brown. Um, is coming back on as well as um i don't know how to say their name it's like ann kath i guess um uh it's like ann is in like ann or ian kath i guess like ian rand um on twitter they kind of go anonymously but their twitter handle is ian kath uh so they're gonna both be coming on the show tomorrow uh maybe one more will be joining us i'm not sure yet uh but we're gonna have a conversation probably it'll end up being about catholicism uh, so, um, uh, cause I've, I've had some, if anyone's following me on Twitter, you know, I've kind of been talking a little bit lately about, uh, how I'm done with Protestantism. Doesn't mean I'm embracing Catholicism yet. Um, I'm, I'm still in that middle ground of, I don't know what to do. So I don't know. I'm still, you know, I, I like to be just honest with you guys. I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to pretend to have it all figured out. You know, none of us have it all figured out. This is a journey and, we continue to develop our ideas and continue to uh, talk to different people, read different things, and you know, continue to pursue the truth. Um, all right, so uh, uh, Frank, uh, I will. I don't know if Will is still watching. Um, if he is, he can post a link. If not, I can uh, make sure to uh, put that in the show notes or something when I'm done. I should get better about doing that. So I'll definitely get you a link one way or the other. Okay, so uh, done with all the introductions and stuff. So I'm going to bring up our uh, uh, caller for tonight. His name is Kyle. Kyle, how you doing? I'm good. All right. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, Twitter is, I mean, I won't say it's completely useless for uh, having conversations and stuff. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I created this call-in show was because a lot of times you'll get into d debates about different things on Twitter and then realize that like it's just not a great space for actually like if someone if there's two people who want to actually dive deep into a disagreement or a topic it's not good for that and so I was like well I have a podcast let me 
open it up to people. And I always appreciate, even if people disagree with me on a subject, if they're willing to come on and have a conversation. Um, I don't know what your particular beliefs are, um, which we can get into, but, you know, my religious beliefs as a Christian, you know, one of the things the Bible talks about is iron sharpening iron. And so that's kind of what I view this kind of process as being. And so um, thanks for coming on. Maybe if you want to just quickly uh, introduce yourself and your background and sort of uh, where you're coming um, from as far as approaching this issue, what your uh, specific political and philosophical leanings are, and then we can get into it. All right. Um, so I'll start sort of from the top. Um, I was, I'm a member of the Church of the Nazarene. I was born and raised um, in there. So that's sort of my religious belief. Um, I went to some other churches when I was in college, but then came back uh, to the Church of the Nazarene. Um, a lot of people haven't heard of us. We're sort of a more conservative Methodist denomination. So um, oftentimes a little less heavy on the liturgy, though not exclusively so. I have heard that there are some high Nazarenes. I've just never met any myself. Um, and politically, my background, um, actually, when I was around 18, I became a sort of Tolstoyan, um, not full pacifist, but I was reading, um, I'm not sure what exactly got me on Tolstoy. I was reading a bunch of sort of classic political theory texts. So I was reading like Locke and Mills, and somehow I wound up with Tolstoy in there. I think probably um, I, my undergrad was in English education. And so I think probably I saw Tolstoy and I thought, oh, like the novelist. So I added his thing to my list. Um, and so from there, I sort of became a Tolstoyan. Over the next 10 years, I sort of became more and more Tolstoyan as I sort of realized like, yeah, you know, to the point where like I was an absolute pacifist, never went vegetarian. So never a perfect Tolstoyan. <laughs> I was but, a vegan for uh, five years right. or so. So, but uh, I couldn't keep it up anymore. But, um, and I went back to get my master's degree. And while I was doing that, I killed a lot of time reading. Um, and I've always been sort of into more traditional, sort of not necessarily right wing, but, you know, like uh, I read a lot of Sowell and um, Locke and Mill and stuff. And I had read Hayek when I was doing, when I was still teaching. I really liked Hayek. And I read somewhere that, you know, oh, well, Hayek's Austrian, but there are these other Austrian economists like Mises and Rothbard. Um, and so I read my first introduction to Rothbard was Man, Economy, and State. Um, and I'd always been, again, like sort of weird capitalist Tolstoyan, because, you know, Tolstoy has some sort of more left-leaning economic views. But I thought, no, it's like capitalism kind of makes sense as a way if you really want to get rid of you know, artificial violence, which is still something that I agree with, even though I'm no longer a pacifist. If, if you just want to minimize violence, if you want to have like as little violence as possible, capitalism is great. Um, and so I was reading Rothbard and finding him really interesting. Um, and then I read Anatomy of the State, which is partly inspired by Tolstoy and Ethics of Liberty. And Ethics of Liberty puts a lot of people, especially more conservative people off of Rothbard, but he was the only person that I'm aware of to ever mention Tolstoyans in the modern context. Because he actually mentions like, here's how society 
you know, an anarcho-capitalist society would be acceptable even to like Tolstoyans. Um, and then someone was bullying me into reading Hoppe. Um, and so I started in on Democracy, the God That Failed, which is sort of the meme Hoppe book. Um, and around that time, I was sort of being led to question pacifism, uh, partly because Tolstoy, you know, if anyone who's sort of a traditional Christian, when you look at Tolstoy, you have to get around the fact that he played fast and loose with scripture at times. Um, you know, one of those things where it's sort of like, well, yes, it says like, him who sheds the blood of man, his blood too shall be shed. But you know, what does it literally mean? And it's like, wait, no, I don't accept that in other places. I don't accept the what does he literally mean excuse, you know. Um, and like, there are there are better and worse ways to do it. Like um, Cody Cook, Cantus Firmus, I think has one of the better arguments for Christian pacifism out there. In um, he wrote a book recently. Uh, well, he has several books, but I was um, one of the sort of advanced readers for What Belongs to Caesar. And, you know, he... yeah, Bob, Bob Murphy does a good job, too, kind of talking about how anarcho-capitalism sort of, you know, would would lean more and more towards a sort of like pacifist society because violence is just more expensive and, and, and less optimal in a, in a market sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely so so it sounds like we're coming from, you know, somewhat of a very similar background in terms of, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would identify myself as a, as a Tolstoyan, um, but that's just because I don't like labeling myself in such fashions, but big fan of Tolstoy, you know, uh, I, I kind of also sort of exist in that sort of a null space between uh, libertarianism and pacifism. <laughs> I don't consider myself yeah. a, a pure, you know, uh, you know, any sort of forces evil pacifist, but I, I also, um, I tend to, you know, probably in 99.9% .9 of cases, you know, side with what the pacifist would, would recommend in most situations. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you're looking at it from a moral equation, I see anytime that you have the least possible use of force that is ideal so anytime where you yes. wind up the day with um no one having a legitimate claim to say i've been aggressed against by someone else that's ideal so you know that's sort of the golden end objective is you wind up in a situation where everyone is saying you know i may not have been as perfectly well off or as happy as i could be but no one aggressed against me and things are generally you know okay yep so the topic we were going to talk about tonight then is borders. Um, so I guess the way that I, I figured might be the, the best way to go about this is that first I'll sort of explain my view on, on borders, you know, state borders, immigration and all that. That way uh, you can know where I'm coming from and then you can uh, lay out your beliefs and, you know, and, and then start highlighting any disagreements that you, that you would have. Uh, so, I would say that in general, you know, I believe in the the uh, the more Austrian view that the only legitimate borders are private property borders. I do I do believe that libertarianism is. Uh, I usually define libertarianism as the rejection of the initiation of force or coercion against peaceful individuals, and the best way to achieve that is to maximize uh, self ownership and property rights. 
as as it were. So uh, that said, you know, that's sort of a moral, philosophical, you know, view of the world. We don't live in a society where, you know, those things are within our grasp um, and, and we are doing our best to wade through the the, the the tangled webs of statism and authoritarianism and, and violence in our society to push them more towards what our ideals are and you know, many different avenues for doing that. But we have to kind of come up with sort of a triage of what we do in the middle of, of you know, wartime and, and the battlefield for, you know, how are, how are we going to, what are we going to settle for? What are we going to advocate for while the state exists, you know, um, you know, or if the state is always going to exist, what would we prefer as the most optimal solution that, you know, best approximates what our, 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 our philosophical leanings would be. Um, so, and, you know, I would say I've read, uh, you know, the extremes on both sides. I, I'm familiar with Brian Kaplan, who's a very, you know, well-known libertarian proponent for open borders. I'm of course very familiar with Hoppe. Um, I, I, I enjoy Hoppe and, appreciate his work um so uh so yeah I, I i know kind of both both sides of this um and so i want to make sure that i you know at the beginning just point out that i view this as like a in-house debate never kind of be one of those more lalbert style libertarians who would say like you can't be for closed borders and be a libertarian i would i mean i i feel like <laughs> You know, the only caveat being I would hope and I usually sort of assume in good faith that those who are for, quote unquote, closed borders from the libertarian perspective would be for the least authoritarian way to enforce a border that they they would not be just like, you know, OK, let's line the border with tanks and landmines and men with guns and, you know, gun down people as they, you know, I mean, I, I would hope they would at least be trying to advocate for more a more as decentralized and as humanitarian a border policy as one can manage with the state. Um, I would not say that I am 100% in my bones opposed to any sort of closed border position, but I would say that in terms of both in a philosophical alignment and in a utilitarian sense, I do think that open borders is... I would phrase it less problematic than closed borders on on many fronts. Um, not not across the board. There, there's pros and cons to each, and there are some things. There there are some conflicts or compromises you do have to make uh, with open borders. I mean, I would say so. Both open and closed borders are compromises on the libertarian ideal because uh, state borders are not private, and so they're not technically legitimate. And insofar as state borders exist they're always going to be illegitimate and they're always going to distort what the free market would, would bear out. And so, um, you know, it's not ideal. I, I guess. So first philosophically, what is the best approximation? Now I know Hoppe makes a argument that other, uh, closed border, uh, closed border libertarians have sort of, uh, adopted, which is sort of the net taxpayer argument. And it's sort of a, okay, well, we can sort of approximate what the you know net positive contributing taxpayers uh, would want 
you know, by sort of assuming, by sort of saying, well, would they want this or here, what are all the things that we would reasonably be able to assume that they wouldn't want? And so then, you know, we would, we would advocate for uh, something based upon that, something that, that, that would be maybe more, more closer to uh, a libertarian order because libertarian order does not necessarily mean freedom of movement. It just means maximizing property rights. My, my issue with, with that argument, and I see where it's coming from, but I guess my philosophical pushback would be that, um, one, that is a slippery slope because who gets to assume what the net taxpayer's uh, opinion would be? Uh, to me, that's a very easy way to justify all sorts of you know increases in state power and, and or advocating for state solutions. Um, so for, for one, that's my first initial pushback, I guess, um, is just that I, I do view that as a slippery slope. Um, beyond that, um, it also sort of assumes a sort of universality to what people would want. And the, the problem is, as libertarians, we should know that there is no universality to what people would want. Um, there might be some regions where that's true, where they don't want a lot of immigration coming in. But there might be some regions that want a lot of immigration coming in. And so to assume a one-size-fits-all um, approach, at least when it comes to like a national border, uh, I, I think is problematic. Now, if the argument was, well, leave it up to the states, less less problematic. You know, if, if each state was allowed to be more self-deterministic in the allowing of immigration immigration in and out, you know, n- not as much of an issue. Um, and of course, continue to push for decentralization would be my my opt my my, my preference. Um, so that's my philosophical disagreement with that argument. In a utilitarian sense, um, you know, so I think the costs of having an open border are that, um, you know, there is, so this is something that Hoppe, Tom Woods, and others if, have. If I may preempt you for a moment, my case for border controls is entirely non-utilitarian. Like I even okay. have a note in here where it's like utilitarian wise, I am like 100% pro immigration. Like I don't see any utilitarian case like other than like a criminal background check at the border, maybe, sure, which, sure. you know, you could handle in a private society, no problem. You know, like we would have background check services and whatnot. So like, okay, so, so would you utilitarian wise, we're in agreement. Okay. So you would say in a utilitarian sense that there are more, let me put it the way I was going to put it very briefly. Uh, what I would say was, I think that there are more positives for individuals and for a you know um, maximizing as much as we can sort of property rights with uh or open borders or even if it's not absolute open borders a something more closer to open borders than the opposite side of that spectrum with closed borders would you say you agree with that or disagree with that so yeah i would uh, so like to to give sort of a background for where I'm starting. I'm starting from sort of Hoppe's idea of one of the problems with the state's intervention in the border is that it arbitrarily excludes people and then working toward, well, what would be the justification then for if we were to restrict access? What would those acceptable justifications be and how does that work? Okay. 
so let's get into that then what what are the uh so so i guess i would want to know what are the acceptable well i guess just before i even ask questions just i guess um if i feel like i need to go back into the utilitarian arguments later i will but if you're seemingly trying to suggest that that's not the, the you know going to be an issue where we would have any major disagreement then i will i guess yield the floor to you for a little bit give you you know eight to ten minutes to sort of lay out your case for you know whatever you are advocating for as far as the uh the borders yeah and and this is Oh, and to be and to be just sorry, and to be really clear, what I'm advocating for is either open borders or as close to that as we can get. I'm not like a, I yeah. wouldn't make I wouldn't make perfect the enemy of the good, you know. So, um, so yeah. yeah, you can go ahead. Yeah, and I'd like to point out that my own like personal preference is generally for very high levels of immigration, like even compared to the current system. However, I do think that there are actually some issues that we need to deal with in order to bring that in line with principles. Like, I think it's an easy solution. You know, people like you and I maybe have put more thought into this than other people, but like when you see like these Cato Institute things where they're saying immigration is good for the economy, we should have immigration. It's like, no, actually there are moral and ethical issues we need to get into before we oh, yeah. open borders. Oh yeah. I mean, like one of the things that perspective, one of the things I was going to cite uh, was the, like what, what Hoppe and Tom Woods have talked about, which is like, the uh, the problem of forced integration, which is definitely a problem that like the Cato types don't they 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 don't deal with, or if they bring it up, they go, well, that's just racist, and I'm like, well, that's not an argument. Like you need to actually deal with like, you know, there there are, there are actual historic um, uh, examples. Like Mary Rothbard talked about this in a I forget which uh, uh, it was like something nation and state. I forget what what was. Uh, but he talked about how, like, uh, in the when the Soviet Union was starting to fall apart, and how uh, the open borders caused like a lot of like, you know, people were flooding into uh, you know different countries and stuff, and and massively changing like the 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 demographics of it like all at once, and then it was like, uh, you know, a major problem for like the the sovereignty of the local people that were there before that felt like suddenly, you know, these outside people had come in and now were changing their way of life and like to act like there's not a problem when you have massive influx of people who have a different culture, different language, different, you know, background or whatever is just, you know, na naive to the world. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll sort of give like a top to bottom thing here. I have some notes pulled up, so I won't skip anything super important. Um, so one of the first things that I feel the need to talk about whenever we talk about like immigration and whatnot is the distinction between public property and public lands, because public property is what, you know, from a Rothbardian perspective, we might identify as property. That is, you know, a subject of economic action that's been brought into being taken out of, you know, either laying fallow or transformed in some way. So property would represent like actually claimed property. So it could be land, but it could also be like roads and infrastructure and whatnot. And then we also have public lands, which are lands that the government claims but doesn't do anything with. I don't, I have not seen anyone who is on the libertarian spectrum really argue that public lands should not be available to anyone. You know, um, and again, like I'm, late Rothbardian in my own personal outlook, even though I've 
Red Hoppe, I tend to agree more with Rothbard than Hoppe whenever the two are in disagreement, um, which is not very often. Um, and so part of that thing with the uh, public lands thing is obviously the government's making some unsanctioned claims. So I'm not trying to argue that the government should be given any authority to enforce those claims. You know, if people were coming to take unoccupied land near the Rio Grande, which actually I think there's more private property built up on the border than we give credit for. But, you know, it's like, let's assume that we can handle not passing over anyone else's private property. You know, if if there's a spot of land that the government has that hasn't used, who should have it? And the answer is whoever wants it. You know, like that very much like doesn't matter national border. I'm not even a fan of the idea of citizenship. Like I do not draw a distinction between citizen and foreigner from that level of like, I don't really care when it comes to who can access property. The main distinction would be taxpayer, non-taxpayer, but obviously, since you're just looking at that from an economic perspective, you could buy your way in. And I wouldn't have any objection to that. I'm not necessarily like, you've been here your whole life, you have a special claim. Um, and, you know, Hoppe is often considered to be sort of closed borders, but one thing that people don't mention is Hoppe also talks at length about how the state is causing problems by refusing to allow people to associate. So it's this sort of lose-lose where the state yep. force integrates people and you have people who are unhappy about being brought together, but then you also have forced disassociation where I want right. to work with someone. And the problem that I actually see is we are very much on the forced disassociation side when we're libertarians thinking about the border issue and we think, oh, we don't want to force people to be separated. And that is a very valid concern. But where I wind up at is always, um, you know, it's not aggression to tell someone they can't have something, um, assuming they don't have a valid legal property claim to it. Um, and one of the issues with open borders is precisely because of how borders work, people typically do not have claims to property on the other side of the border. Um, you know, and even like a familial relation doesn't necessarily earn you that claim to that property. You know, so it's difficult, you know, on one hand, I would very much like, oh, yes, invite people in. Anyone who gets an invitation from someone who's lawfully there can come in and accept it. You know, like that would be the libertarian ideal in a libertarian social order. That is how it would work. So that's what we would want to work towards. But I actually think it's the nature of the state that makes it so that the state cannot invite people in and cannot just freely allow people in because of some of the stuff that's going on there. Um, and I don't, I'm not necessarily in agreement with Hoppe over the net taxpayer thing, both because one, I think what we've seen is, you know, net taxpayers tend to have low time preference tend to be involved in production. And if you're a producer, you would have more incentive to at least have freedom of movement, even if not you know, even if you're not hiring labor from overseas, you would want as little control of flow of goods and people as possible. Like that's just economically optimal. Sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I don't necessarily draw it from that. Um, but I do think there's sort of a couple things. One is basically all public property ought to be private property. And it either Agreed. was taken from a taxpayer directly or it was made with money 
gathered from taxpayers and then, you know, spent towards this other cause. And so my concern, my concern isn't utilitarian. It's not like taxpayers are losing money from immigration. Cause I think the very strict utilitarian argument there would be no immigration is generally good for taxpayers. Like at least from a vulgar economic perspective of line goes up. Um, yeah, it, and, it's good on a macro level. I mean, and then yeah. like, it, it can be varied, you know, there, there's going to be winners and losers, of course, like with anything. Yeah, but but a lot of the losers aren't people who would have a claim to aggression. You know, like I'm not the they took our jobs argument. It's like, yeah, no, if you're not willing to do it for the same price as someone else, that doesn't mean that they aggressed against you by taking the job at a lower price. You know, right. like that there's no justification to claim aggression based on those arguments. So from a libertarian perspective, yeah. those would not be sufficient to close borders. Although However, it's, funny, it's funny when, just to, to quickly point here, it's funny though when that exact argument is made by both people like Tucker Carlson and Bernie Sanders. <laughs> it always cracks me yeah. up. <laughs> well, and, well, and I think one thing is from an, it's something that shows a different economic perspective. Because I've noticed from like a Chicago perspective or an Austrian perspective, you never hear this, they took our jobs argument. And it's only yeah. people who have like other like Keynesian or like, I'm not really sure what the conservative equivalent would be like if you're going back to like mercantilists arguing. Because I mean, like even Adam Smith, who, you know, might not be hardcore Austrian on certain things as far as the like, you know, labor theory of value goes, would still argue division of labor. And so, you know, if you're thinking about division of labor, there's no excuse not to just have as many people as possible competing for the pie. So I'm not trying to make even necessarily a harm to the taxpayers thing so much as the government does not have the legal right to invite people on to seized property. Um, because it can't <laughs> claim, you know, it can't claim that it was paid up as restitution for crimes, you know, as much as it may have acquired some of its goods somewhat legitimately from prosecuting criminals and having them pay for offenses, it also is taxing everyone. You know, it, it rains on the just and the unjust as far as taxes go. So basically, one half of it here is the government actually legally, like, if I were to move into someone else's apartment while they were away and invite my friends over, you know, it's not really ethical or legal for me to do that. You know, my friends might not be in trouble, but I would be in trouble for having done it, you know? And so I think, especially given the fact that the government tends to play winners and losers, that they're letting some people have access to taxpayer funded property without having the same legitimate claims, you know? And of course, practically speaking, like this isn't, again, like I'm fairly pro-immigration, but it is something that I think we need to consider as libertarians is if we really claim to respect property rights, we need to make a good case for why we're saying your property rights matter unless the government took your stuff and then the government can give it away to whoever they want. You know, it's like, yeah, you're not seeing that again. Like just from a political realist perspective, the money's gone. The government wastes like 80% of what it gets anyway. So, but you know, you're it, not going to get repaid. So what's the difference though between, so, so let me point out where we agree and then I can start asking some questions about where I'm, not quite following you. So um, obviously I agree with you. The state is taking either land that uh, they did not homestead, they did not develop, and they are just kind of owning it via fiat, uh, or they're 
taking property from you know somebody else and so that i mean they're kind of the only two options <laughs> as far as whatever the government owns it's either owning undeveloped land or, or resources that they're just kind of saying like it's ours just because they you know they can or they or they or they they stole it um and then that becomes part of i guess the you know quote-unquote public public co- property or the commons or you know whatever whatever you want to call it um I certainly agree that that is immoral um, and unlibertarian. Uh, I think that nobody, this is where it gets tricky. So it's like, does anybody have a right to that public land? And does the state have a right to either give it, give access to it, that, that public property to people or to deny access? So I guess to Steelman, your point, I think you're saying that maybe it's not ideal that they would deny access, but that it's not, I think what you're saying is not, it's not fundamentally unlibertarian to deny access because nobody is owed access versus giving people access is actually increasing the, uh, the net violation of property rights that the state is doing. Is that would that be a fair sort of summary or steelman of your yes. position? And then and then so your question is well why isn't it also wrong for them to let people who are you know taxpayers use it if you know yes that would be my follow up question well, be and, like what's the difference <laughs> or so, or so Marianne, answer, what about people who aren't taxpayers who are just born in the country and who are yeah. you know I mean it seems so it's basically a tragedy of the commons argument which so, I I, I yes. get but um but it seems to me like that problem goes in many directions not just you know those who were born in the country versus those born outside of it well and so i have i have sort of a two-pronged response to that one is you are totally correct it is immoral for a government to be letting everyone use that stuff um however i would argue that the use claims of people who are already in the vicinity are maybe more valid than potential immigrants because you know, if you if you were to strip people of the access to it, for one thing, they were the ones expropriated to pay for it directly. Um, but of course, then you wind up back in the issue of, well, why couldn't someone just pay to immigrate, which I actually love. I love that idea. But um, barring barring that the the cases, because the the counterpart would be that you're basically kidnapping everyone. You're forcing them to stay on private property despite being surrounded by expropriated public property. So it's not so like to answer your question, what should the state do? The state should immediately cease to exist. Um, you know. Uh if only it were that easy. <laughs> that would be the ideal moral scenario. Yeah. Um and actually, you know, with regards to restricting access to people who are currently there again, you know, I, I don't necessarily work with the net taxpayer because I think also we should consider the fact that, you know, let's say that you aren't having tax, let, let's say even that you're a complete welfare beneficiary, you know, like you have never paid a cent in taxes, everything you've received in your life has been paid for by the taxpayer. I think you would still have a case for aggression against the state that, you know, it, it, it moves it more into the situation where like what the scholastics would say, like, you know, if you're starving and you need a piece of bread, can you steal it? And the answer is, well, you can't steal it, but you can borrow it and you're still obligated to pay back. You know, so it's like my my gut feeling is because if you're living inside the state, 
borders, you don't really have any real viable alternative to using public property. You sort of have sort of a dirty hands license to it in the sense of, you know, potentially, you know, if we had the ideal Etienne de la Boetie style, people stop respecting government, government cease to exist, everything gets sold off in a fire sale. Um, potentially we might say, hey, you didn't contribute, you don't get a slice of this, you know. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if you're if you're inviting people into stolen goods, that's an act of fraud in addition to stealing the goods. So it's like, it's double jeopardy either way. At least the people who are already being stolen from and who are already in those territorial boundaries, they didn't really get a say in the matter. People who you're inviting in, um, and again, you know, there is also a cost-benefit analysis here of, well, then what's the case for closed borders if the closed borders are going to exceed the cost of just letting people in? And the answer is, well, of course, the government should not spend more than the optimal point on border security. But that is still somewhere above open borders. You know, like the the optimal border security to prevent the consumption of taxpayer-funded resources is not zero. It's also not, again, like the trenches with alligators in them that people pretend Trump wanted, right. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's like, there there is a middle ground there, but basically the, the state's immediate duty is to be as good a sh sort of fiduciary stakeholder as it can be and liquidate itself. You know, like that's sort of the moral and legal obligation of the state. Um, and so that does mean that they do need to think about what are our restrictions for accessing this um and as far as letting you know taxpaying citizens as much as i don't like the idea of citizenship have it and non-taxpaying non-citizens not have it you know it's like almost like a punnett square where you have like non-taxpaying non-citizen probably shouldn't have access citizen non-taxpayer access you know tax-paying non-citizen access and tax-paying citizen access. So, like, it's not necessarily that the state shouldn't invite anyone in ever because we want to keep people out. It's, you need to be careful that you're not disposing of stolen goods in an unethical way. So, is this... Okay, so, there's, there's a lot there. I'm going to try to uh respond to all of it so i guess the first thing you you kind of brought up two different i guess justifications for lack of a better word for why it would be okay for the the person um on one side of the border to um have access to the public property and not the people on the other side of the border one was sort of a uh like um circumstance of of location or vicinity uh and then two was sort of like the the lack of other options like you know people who like well you know if they don't have any other option but to use the public property um you know then it's less bad for them to use it while they're already here versus bringing more people here to use it um uh just very quickly do it did i did i get that right because I, I always want to make sure I, i'm sort of like I, is that, is I think that, it was it's really more the second point that I was trying to make and sort of okay. waddling towards. So really that so second first, point of just like... So the second point matters more than the first here. one. Yeah, so you're, you're okay. already here. 
and I mean, the first one to also, me seems more like that kind of like, well, I don't know, it's just an arbitrary yeah. line in the sand that doesn't really seem yeah, like, super compelling. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, but, obviously, yeah. like the arbitrary line in the sand thing, it's like, well, there's a lot of desert that I don't care about. You know, anyone can go settle in that desert, it won't be any skin off my bones. But if you are, you know, using infrastructure that I'm funding, maybe more right. moral hazard okay. there. But, but see, I could make an argument that the people born in this country have less of a need to the public property generally than like people, let's say on the other side who live in Mexico, you know, or maybe very oftentimes and, and sort of like as a consequence of the, the war on drugs and, and sort of like uh, consequences of American, you know, policies that, that have made the situation even worse. I, I could argue from a, you know, sort of moral uh, standpoint that, they that those people actually have more of a uh lack of any other option and sort of a like well you know maybe they would have the higher moral claim to sort of use this and then have a moral obligation to like view it as like they're borrowing this to pay back later ideally um maybe it's ideal so what would you what would you say to that so my my rebuttal to that would be it's not that you're allowed to steal bread and then pay it back later it's that when there is no other alternative. So for instance, if I had rice and I saw a loaf of bread, I would not have any ethical justification for stealing the loaf of bread while I have rice. You know, I may prefer bread, it may be more fulfilling, but if my needs are satiated. So like when when I when I was making okay. that case, it wasn't it wasn't you have a you have the right to go wherever you have the most opportunity. You are not aggressed against by lacking opportunity. However, you are aggressed against if there are bandits outside locking you in your house. Um, which is sort of how I would view the state. You know, it's like you are, you know, if you are born within a state's territorial borders, right? you know, like if you leave the U.S., you actually still have to pay taxes, even if you leave, unless you renounce your citizenship, for instance. Okay. So like yeah. in, in that sort of situation, it's like, well, you know, and, and again, that gets to like the refugee question. Like, I don't see because of how I've formulated my thoughts on the immigration thing, I don't actually see a case for taking immigrants as far as like, you can let immigrants in because they don't have any claim, but obviously it would be the polite thing to do. And you know, in a, in a libertarian social order, I would hope we would, but I don't think the government has a right to invite people in even just because they need it, you know, because they're, you know, they don't, they're giving away stolen property because, oh, you need it more than the people we stole it from. It's like, no, you're not allowed to do that. You know, that's very much, you're not allowed to steal except for very specific necessity right now. So it's like, or, or like, I would even necessarily, maybe the better parallel is to self-defense. You know, like if someone breaks into my house, am I justified to shoot? And the answer is yes. If I think someone's going to jump or going to break into my house, am I justified to shoot him? Probably not. You know, like there's, you know, like maybe he could have a sign where it's like, I'm going to break into your house and kill you while he's running across my lawn or whatever. And, you know, that kid, at that point, it's like, yeah, he's clearly, you know, it's just a question of has he actually, like, crossed the property line yet or not, but clearly the intent and everything is there. So it's like, with regards to the need, it's like, it's not so much that it's a need-based argument so much as because you have been, because you are in this space, if you chose not to use any public um, goods, you know, it's like if I chose not to use any public goods, you know, I would not be able to step outside my house. 
And so I would be essentially kidnapped if I were absolutely prescribed from using public goods. Now, does okay. that mean that I have a moral claim to those public goods? No, it doesn't. You know, like, other than the fact that, you know, yes, technically I'm one of the taxpayers. Um, maybe not even a net taxpayer. I'm not terribly wealthy, but, you know, it's like I am nonetheless one of the people from whom money has been stolen in the past by the government. So, you know, if we liquidated it, I'd probably be entitled to a share back. Um, but it's like, you know, if you're if you're in a different country and you're looking at another country, it's like, well, you might be the victim of the same circumstances in your own country, but it doesn't entitle you to go halfway. Like, you know, to go back to the stealing bread analogy, it's like, well, if you're starving and there's a loaf of bread available and you steal it, that's still immoral. You know, it's not good. It's a moral violation that you owe restitution for. And there's a difference between doing it within an hour of need and going halfway around the world to do it. You know, it's like if you are in a country and the situation is truly unbearable, I would hope someone would invite you in. But you don't necessarily okay, but have would, the right but, to. But, but, uh, okay, so would... So, okay, maybe it's like, okay, well, maybe Australians should not have free access, you know, to come to America. But it seems to me that uh, the people right across the border who are kind of the, that's the kind of constitutes the majority of the people who are coming across the border um, or, or well, coming and overstaying their visas. Um, usually they're from Central America, not Mexico directly. But Okay. But, but I mean, it's, Mexico is for, for as much as, you know, I, I live in the Southwest. As much as we may give Mexico grief, it's really much nicer than people they were credit for. You know, like, it's not a particularly dangerous place unless they think you're a rich American, in which case they might try and kidnap you for a ransom. You know, but it's like, if you... Well, you it's know, a slightly different debate, because I've heard, I mean, yeah. I know people live in Mexico, too, and uh, I've heard it just kind of varies by where you live, and yeah. also very well, different times. So. It's ironic. The situations that the U.S. has created have made the border regions worse than the rest of Mexico, which is an indictment of our policy. Sure, but, yeah. Um, um, but I, you don't necessarily have a claim to go and steal just because, you know, and, you know, and again, like a libertarian social order, once you have all that property held by private people, anyone who invites you in, you're good to go to, you know. So, you know, like, obviously, as Christians, we all have churches we're associated with. You know, and like my church takes in homeless people. There's no reason my church couldn't take in refugees other than sort of the legal difficulties associated with that. So, you know, in the libertarian social order, we we would want to do stuff like that as Christians and hopefully as yeah. a society. But for the state to do it, it's one of those things where you can't take stolen, like, again, like the stealing bread analogy. I can't steal bread and give it to 50 people for a popularity boost, you know, like... Okay, so it, it it wouldn't be the same thing. I I see what you're trying to get at as far as the di the, the difference in traveling an hour versus traveling halfway across the world. I don't know if it's a strong enough argument that it would convince me because I I think what where I'm coming down is uh there there's there's two problems I see one uh let's say I mean and I I'll just agree that uh. For sake of argument, I, I think I agree anyway, but I'd have to think about it a bit more to be sure. But I think I agree that it is a form of theft. Or you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For uh, uh, an aggression of some sort for people to travel here from any distance, you know, but especially maybe more from a larger distance, to come here and to uh, gain access to, to public property, public resources, etc. Um, but what i'm what i'm unconvinced of is that that aggression is uh lesser let me phrase this correctly i'm not certain that that aggression is then uh justifiably met by the aggression it takes from the state then to keep them out like like i guess what i'm pointing out is that i think that the although i what i'm not saying is that they have a right to it i'm not saying that in a libertarian sense, I agree with you, people aren't owed something. But the issue is to keep the people out just inevitably, in my opinion, uh, requires a certain level of enforcement, both at the border and then having also agencies to detain people who have who came legally and overstayed visas and this, that, and the other. And and the apparatus that you have to create to then stop this aggression this this what i would view as a smaller aggression by the immigrant then creates a larger aggression on the part of the state to, to sort of it's like you're 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 creating a bigger problem to solve a smaller problem especially because a i think the cost of up now i know you said that you you wouldn't you would want what is minimally um required you wouldn't want you know an excessive amount spent but the problem is, like, it's it's in my opinion easy easy to say. Well, I don't want them to spend lots of money on this, but it's like, but this is what the state does: is it it, it says here's a problem, we're the solution, but and then they a fail to actually solve it, and b they create as much bureaucracy as they can, as much inefficiency as they can, and 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 continue to create more ways to uh aggress against the taxpayers and and to take more of their of of their wealth so to me it's like i feel like it's inevitable that the amount of aggression both towards the immigrants and towards the taxpayer will be greater as you try to solve the smaller aggression of the people coming here to have some sort of access to the public goods um if i could be shown you know obviously uh, you know i'm I believe in empirical reality. So if someone showed me how, like, you know, demonstrated a, a way, not just hypothetically, but like showed me, hey, we we did it, you know, I, I, I would acknowledge it, but I'm highly skeptical that that, that would ever work out. Um, at the very least, now I will say in the sense that I'm not a, like, absolutist, um, I think that totally open borders are are perhaps a pipe dream here in America. And so... I would, you know, be okay with compromises 
to try to have, again, as humanitarian and as decentralized a border policy as possible. I don't know if I would necessarily even call that a closed border policy, um, but I guess that's a bit of a semantics game as to what we mean by open versus closed. But I guess it's sort of, I always say like, well, what direction are you leaning? And I'm going to be leaning, you know, pushing more towards the government having less control over who comes here than more control. Only because I think the more control we give them is always going to end up in a a greater aggression than the ones we're trying to solve. So that's um so yeah. So I would say that's more of an issue with the methodology being used than necessarily the enforcement like you're not necessarily against the idea of some people can't just come in and take public goods they don't have a claim to it's more you know we don't want to see migrants i mean like i live in the southwest one of the things that's really horrifying is to hear the actual stories of the people who are trafficked here illegally you know and even if they're coming of their own free will they have all sorts of horrible things happen to them on the way um and my my gut feeling there if we're going to get into a utilitarian argument but also i think there's more room for this also from an economic perspective to to analyze is you know if we can get rid of inefficiencies which is a big if because we're dealing with government here um when we're seeing very large government responses to immigration that means one either that they fail more often than they succeed so that so the actual methods are very ineffective and so only you know if, if one in a hundred potential illegal immigrants gets punished you're going to try and punish that one in a hundred disproportionately, which is, I would agree, morally wrong. Um, or if you have a proportional response to try and deter something, that means that the economic incentives are very high. So for instance, to, to take a more sort of non-aggressive stance to border enforcement, it looks a lot less like walls and more like maybe a lot of the public services are not free anymore. You know, so sort of like to go back to the idea of, you know, the boomer. But, but that wouldn't be really closed borders anymore, though, would it? Like if it's just a matter well, of, of of making because because I don't necessarily disagree with you that because but like if you're going to take public goods and make them less of a commons and make them more approximate, uh, approximating something like private property where people have to pay to use them, that I don't have as much of an issue with. Um, but well, I think but, it's different. So, so I mean, like, but you know, one, one would be like, um, so for instance, like public schools right now, we don't verify citizenship or legal status to use public schools. And so, you know, if you started cutting away at stuff like that, you would have sort of a two-pronged enforcement. And, you know, to a lot of libertarians, that would sound very unlibertarian of like, you are discriminated against people on the basis of citizenship here. But the reality is that what you're doing is you're not viewing that as in... Some people get benefits, other people don't necessarily, though I'm I'm not necessarily opposed to that from the net taxpayer perspective. I just don't generally consider net taxpayer to be a good argument. Um, it's not something that I consider core to my philosophy. Um, but you know, you're not thinking of that, you're not you're not using that as a way to say these people are privileged and these people are unprivileged. You're saying this is part of our border enforcement mechanism, is to make as many public services either paid for so that they're i mean and then they're not taxpayer subsidized 
you know, which is another win, I think, as far as the libertarian goal would be. Um, or you make them contingent on proof of citizenship, which reduces the draw for illegal immigration and okay. makes the border I can kind of see you know, the connection. You, you move yeah. away from the draconian, you know, guys in riot armor enforcement to the well, you can come, but there's no reason for you to be here unless you have actually come legally, which would help us transition. Yeah, and, yeah. so I actually like that. That's actually something that the states already do. For example, like uh, some state parks here or some publicly funded state things here, like in my state, they'll be like free if you're a you know uh, a citizen of Pennsylvania. But if you're out of state, then they charge a certain fee for 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 use of 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 those things. And yeah. Yeah, so so that is well, something like, I can see how yeah, like, you're sort of conflating it with border enforcement. It's it's I don't know. I, I feel like it's a bit of a semantical game there. If well, it's it, but 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 it, it, that's not that so, that sort of enforcement, whatever we call it. Um, yeah, you know, I have no problem with that. I would I would agree that those are libertarian, uh, well, or, or libertarian esque. You know, more better libertarian answers than than other ones. Yeah, well, and it's like it's one of those things where it's like you get the library card, you have to show proof of residency. And of course, part of the reason they do yeah. that is so people don't walk in and, you know, steal one library card worth of books and then come back and steal another, you know. Um, but, you know, practically speaking, stuff like that is probably how, you know, it's a more libertarian way to do it because you're not really thinking we want to exclude these people entirely from society, but you need to prove a valid claim to public services. So, in that sense, you can't just come and get stuff. And, you know, ultimately, I actually have sort of in what I consider to be the libertarian ideal here. Um, because I think the, the two strong cases you've already sort of mentioned are forced association. You want to prevent that. No one has a right to associate with anyone else. That's not something that's a valid positive right. You do have negative right of choosing not to associate with someone. Um, and a legal right not to be held responsible for associating with someone, but that's legislative and not really natural. Um, uh, you know, obviously there's a locality preference. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people who say that the people who don't like forced integration are racist don't realize. A lot of people really feel more comfortable dealing with people that they know. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and like if you've ever been to a small town, like, they often don't have police there, you know? And it's like, well, the reason why you have Mayberry with Andy Griffith and Barney Fife and not a whole police department is because everyone knows each other. You know, the odds are that something really serious is going to need intervention is nil. And they primarily prefer to work with people who know each other or who have some tie to the community. That's not necessarily that they're xenophobic and hate everyone who looks different from them. You know, you, I've been to small towns where it's relatively diverse internally, but they still don't like outsiders. And it's simple. They're saving a lot of time and effort on trying to figure out who's good and who's bad and what might lead to legal troubles right. by just not associating with outsiders. Or at the very least, if, you know? if outsiders are going to come in, there's a difference between a sort of sort of organic through the market people coming in and moving in and yeah. a controlled pattern uh, versus like, oh my gosh, like, you know, a couple hundred people just showed up and and the middle of town yeah, like, and they don't have the, and they're and they don't have a place to live and and yeah that creates a certain bit of uncertainty and you know yeah i mean the 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 forced integration argument is is abs like i said earlier it's absolutely a concern that a lot of open borders libertarians do not they just dismiss as that's racist and it's like that's that's just yeah. 
not naive like it shows how complete like like a lot of those Cato types they're just you know they're like they're they're extreme cosmopolitans they they don't understand uh well and like <laughs> i'm extreme cosmopolitan but i don't engage in motivated reasoning and ignore all the other alternatives there right you know right. like there there is something to be said for if i'm in a small town i don't have police officers on my speed dial i don't have any of this stuff we rely on just knowing everyone around us and having an opinion of them already adding in you know, 50,000 people a day going through a four square mile area is not something that works with that social order. And so there are reasons to be concerned about that. And of course, the ironic thing is in an open border society, if we did achieve one, those places would probably not be seeing massive influxes of people. It's, you know, really the government that tends to insert people to those places through like refugee resettlements that creates the problems that people worry about. But, you know, it's still a valid complaint. And knowing that the fundamental goal of human action is to reduce discomfort, you don't have a right to take policies that cause people a lot of discomfort. You know, it's like that they maybe would have a claim to be aggressed against if you were inserting people into their community, not because they want to maintain any particular balance or anything, but because they want, you know, to be able to enjoy that security. Right. And also to be clear, like, uh, what I would not be in favor of, and this to me would be beyond just open borders, what I would, I would be against the state actively promoting and trying to incite more immigration, which I know some people would say open borders inherently does that. But I think there's a difference between a sort of like, uh, like a yeah. open borders that's just kind of like a casual sort of like, you know, yeah, like we're not like, like laissez, like a laissez, yeah, laissez faire approach yeah. versus a hey, everybody, come, come here. <laughs> There's, you know, and, I'm in favor of the the former, not so much the latter. That would be certainly an, an unlibertarian um, yeah. approach. <laughs> so. Well, and to to use the boomer cliche, um, so long so long as we have social services being provided by the government, you sort of do need to have some closure of borders to people, so that people don't just come for the free stuff. Um, but that's not really what I'm worried about when I refer to restricting access. Like, I don't really call it closed borders. I call it access controls because I, I do believe in. I was about to ask that, which like, really it seems like a lot of times um, what, what what I find is that like the yeah. debate between open and closed borders is silly because like truly like, like most reasonable libertarians can kind of like what we just did here. It's kind of like, well, we really aren't advocating for totally open and we're not really advocating for totally closed. We're just saying like, there's some nuance here that we have to recognize in terms of like what we do while the state exists and like and 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 yeah so pretty much yeah well i I agree with i agree with 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 99 percent of what you're proposing um even if we have some slight disagreements around the edges yeah well and i i guess the point that i want to make is i do think there is actually a libertarian principled position for absolutely zero immigration while the state still exists now it's kind of like the hyper extremist position of like the state needs to be liquidated tomorrow and then we can worry about letting people into the you know it's like it's literally like that you walked in on a crime scene you're putting up the police or crime scene you know crime scene no trespassing or whatever tape and you're liquidating stuff and then you know the day after things go back to letting people do stuff so you know i i think there the big gripe that I just have is when people say closed borders aren't libertarian. It's like, no, there is actually a very principled libertarian case for absolute closed borders. It's 
kind of value maxing in the sense of like you would have to put one thing on a pedestal above all others which isn't realistic you know like my my uh my case is that you can have completely non-aggressive access controls that just depending on the situation could be you know you might wind up with zero immigration under those controls or you might wind up with practically unfettered immigration. i see what you you're know, saying like, I, I just think the issue is when you when you phrase that as closed borders it does, that's not what the term sort of communicates yeah. um for better or for worse like people because what you're what it's, it's really more what you it's not stopping people from crossing a border it's saying within the borders there is uh limited act you know it's basically saying taking yeah. the commons and making them not free to everyone and and that's completely in my opinion i think it's wrong to label that as closed borders but i, I do understand how you're saying it would have an effect on the border and on immigration which is true well and well i was gonna say it's more of how do we enforce closed borders because obviously you know the the beautiful wall um is sort of a meme but it but it's you're not, not really enforcing the border. Practical. You're enforcing the commons. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's so like, like yeah, <laughs> is is sort of like, you know, and again, like, I'm fairly cosmopolitan. My own preference is pro-immigration, but from like a libertarian ethical principle, I think I'm actually maybe more pro-immigration than a strictly ethical case might permit. Because I'm saying, you know, like, yeah, I don't mind if I get soaked because people are coming in illegally, and so when the time comes fingers crossed that we transition from a state to a libertarian social order you know it's like i don't mind giving up what i've put into the state like if i you know at this point with the governments like if it stopped existing i would be happy i don't care how it stops existing you know which i'm sure is something that just landed me on a watch list um but you know it's like not aggressively at the end of the boaty like you realize hey these guys are scam artists if we stop complying tomorrow they'd all stop being a problem for us um you know, it's like if we if we just stop, you know, Nancy Pelosi's not going to come to my house with a Glock to collect taxes. You know, like you don't you don't need to have some violent revolution to end the state. You just sort of have to say, like, look, this is all kind of nonsense. And when enough people get together and say, look, this is all kind of nonsense, it comes to an end. You know, and until then, I don't think there's a crime to say, look, everything that's public good, which is an awful term that we hate, but you know, let's use the way it's colloquially used. Everything that the state pretends it owns and gives away, anyone who's not a lawful citizen should be denied that. That's not, I don't think, an on libertarian position. Or denied free access to it versus a yeah, or denied free access, access to it. You know, it's yeah. like you could you could do a paid access. System, and listen, if the, you know, if there's people that say, "Oh, I don't like that they don't have free access," it's like, well, you can contribute. Yeah, yeah exactly. you can pay for it yourself, or you know, there can be um, organizations out there that you know would would provide financial assistance to you know, aid in the accessing of those uh, public resources for the, the, the immigrants, you know, there, there are, you know, and, and to me, this is the, the beautiful thing about what you're describing is not only is it like a, it's not only a solution of sort to the, the immigration problem and the tragedy of the commons, but it's also to me like hand in hand with sort of a political strategy for promoting more decentralization and privatization. So it's it's sort yeah. of like a it's sort of like a uh, a two pronged uh, pushback against the, uh, the 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 authoritarian uh, control that that the state has over these things. Yeah. Well, and 
again, I hate to say this kind of post libertarian in the sense of I'm not post libertarian. I'm hardcore libertarian. I want to move towards that, but I'm also a political realist. You know, like if, if you've followed my Twitter account, you'll notice that I came and thought about like as a political realist, you know, and so it's like you can enforce things without men with guns and body armor. You know, like we, we think about that because we think of policing. And it's like sometimes when people are violent, you do need men with guns and armor. You know, like I know Walter Block talks about how in a libertarian social order, you'll all have nonviolent police officers. But it's like, no, you probably still will have someone who's out there deal with the mad guy with a gun. You know, it's like at some point you will need to have some level of that going on. But, you know, it's like the actual enforcement mechanism should be more focused on how do you clamp down incentives? You know, it's like because ideally the libertarian ideal, as far as I can tell, is if someone has a productive enterprise or real estate or other non-movable property that they can sort of reside in, they should have access to that. So if someone were to buy a house, it doesn't matter if they're a citizen or not, they should be able to come live here. Um, of course, you can't just like buy a baseball and then come into the US, but you would, if it's if it's something that's retrievable, you don't have a claim to enter, you do have a claim to have it sent to you. Um, you know, one thing that I think a lot of conservatives get upset about when libertarians are open borders that we do need to address is um, people can't be engaged in criminal enterprises. Um, of course, we consider a lot fewer things criminal than the conservatives do. You know, say, I don't care if you're bringing drugs across the border so long as they're clearly labeled and you're not defrauding anyone. Like, yeah, I don't like drugs. Don't do drugs. I don't even drink. I'm a Nazarene. We don't, you know, we don't drink alcohol. Um, it's like, so I'm not oh, wow. necessarily endorsing the drugs, but at the same time, it's like, so, so you're not going to buy the rabbit eye blueberry wine I advertised at the beginning no, of the show? No, not. <laughs> um, I thought about cracking a joke about it, and I thought, uh, maybe don't take off the sponsor. Um, but, you know, it's like, I'm obviously not endorsing drugs, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, you're not defrauding anyone by selling. You know, it's like, they're not inherently criminals. So if you stop prosecuting that, you'd have a lot fewer issues with stuff in general. Um, and then also, obviously, anyone who comes in must pay a price. Now, of course, in the private society you might have people who pay for roads you know like if i'm a business owner i might pay for the roads around my business so that people come to my business so they don't have to pay for those roads you know rothbard talks about this in i think it's the libertarian manifesto or i forget what it's called but he talks about how you know it's like private parks or private spaces draw in all these businesses that pay for their operations so the people who actually use them from our perspective as sort of consumers don't have to pay for them but they're being paid for by someone else you know, so yeah. so there are those rooms there, but I, I do think there is a case for like from a libertarian perspective of saying these people are not from here, they don't have access to the property the same way. Like as much as that may pain some of us to say, it's like outsiders do not have the same claim to property as people who were born here for various reasons. And we need to consider while we're on the road to hopefully privatizing everything and then anyone can go wherever they're invited, which is the ideal. We need to say, no, you actually can't just come here. Are we going to come up with ways to stop that while we change it? So you can't just be invited anywhere you want, and there's no moral issues there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we mostly agree. I, I might I might have some some slight framing disagreements with you, but I, I can kind of get behind the the spirit and the and the sort of direction that you're that you're going at. So um, you know, maybe one thing to talk about here at the end, sort of, you know. You, you kind of hinted at it and, and it's something that that I often think about too is is sort of like the 
there, there's that you know right now in our movement there's sort of this uh there's two polar ends right now there's the you know sort of post libertarians who have sort of like in my opinion gotten so they're almost like reacting to the other end which is like the lawberts and you have like the the lawberts the cato types the uh i don't know more regime libertarians like dave smith calls them um who, who are kind of like you know completely like they're the ones that um uh like what's that uh, phrase that uh pete quinonez uses uh living in encapistan in your head uh that's that's sort of like what the lawbirds do um and then the uh uh the post libertarians uh they kind of uh uh go the opposite end they're like well uh libertarianism uh encapistan is just you know impossible to achieve and we just need to live in reality right here right now it's you know it's almost like a sort of like brutal uh like a brutalist approach so to speak um and they uh uh yeah you kind of have these two extremes and and i I, so i i get the post-libertarian critique and i've tried to listen to them uh um and and, but what i've tried to do is, is incorporate and sort of integrate what their criticisms are um and to to kind of find that middle ground because I don't think, you know, and this seems to me sort of what you're trying to do here with the whole border thing, which I can appreciate, is sort of like trying to find that balance between well, what are, what are our principles? Uh, what can we do to make the status quo as good as we can? But you know, can we always be pushing to go further? And whether that further ever reaches an actual society where the state dissolves well i don't know it it might seem far-fetched now but it's happened in the past there have been societies um that that have existed for decades or even centuries without the state but even if we can't get there it's like well keep pushing you know don't don't just you know deal with the here and now deal with the circumstances that we have but continue to push as much as you can um, in any way you can for, you know, uh, more decentralization. And on, on top of that, not just decentralization, but I like the way you put it, like there are ways we can sort of uh, hack the state mechanism and create enforcements that are at least not, um, f- you know, fundamentally as as violent as other enforcement mecha- mechanisms are. I do think that that is a bit more that, that that is something that the post libertarians have have sort of rightfully pushed on the libertarian movement to be like you know there are ways to utilize the state in the here and now that aren't just you know complete violations of well I think sometimes the post libertarians go yeah. well who cares if it violates the principles and to me I've kind of come to a conclusion where well I think there are ways you can use the state that don't violate your principles and that are you know, maybe not perfect, but they're, you know, they're, they're good enough, right? Like we don't need to make the perfect, the enemy of the good. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, th- th- those are so, some of the things I've been thinking about. What, what are your thoughts? I, I actually, when I was sketching out some notes, I actually wrote about this. Um, now, obviously my background is I'm a former Tolstoyan. And so if you're a Tolstoyan, you think very deontologically, like you don't make utilitarian, you don't make consequentialist arguments. It's always right. what is moral. And that's, <laughs> right. you know, that's one of the things that drew me to Rothbard versus like I read Hayek and, you know, yeah. I sort of enjoyed his economic analyses, but not his political analyses. Um, 
And so one of one of the things that I think is a good recipe for those of us who might be, you know, sort of the, those of us who get tarred as lulpers, um, to avoid that and stay away from the libertarian spectrum is think about what thought process process you're using to get to your goals and think about whether emotion is entering in to it as a central thing or not because you know i am 100 like i will make a utilitarian or a consequentialist argument alongside deontology as a way of sanity checking it right but i always first and foremost start with what is a moral thing so for instance with right. my with my sort of closed borders approach there's two underlying things there one is there's you don't have any claim to other people's property legally so being told no you can't come here that's not a violation against you. um you know even the use of force to prevent that it sort of depends on whether that's proportional but it would be valid it would be valid in a proportional sense the state is awful at any sense of proportional justice you know like for instance incarceration like i don't necessarily have a philosophical objection to incarceration but there's like no circumstance which is proportional. You know, it's like maybe violent crimes. But even then, like if I were the victim of a violent crime and my choice was the person who hurt me pays restitution or the person who hurt me goes to jail, I would choose restitution, like hands down every time. You know, like there's, and that is personal preference maybe, but like, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not like I would necessarily even have a claim to incarcerate someone who punched me for 20 years. You know, that just doesn't logically follow as a proportional punishment. And I think that's one of those questions there. And the other thing is moral universality, where anyone can take any moral action. Um, so like self-defense, we don't consider self-defense to be immoral because, you know, it would be justifiable. And most people wouldn't consider like a police officer or a private security person intervening to save someone's life immoral either, even if they did harm to a criminal that way. Um, precisely because, you know, if you view things through a morally universalist and a deontological framework, you know, it's like, yes, you can argue, well, some people have dirty hands or whatever. So you can make an exception for that. But like, if someone has no ulterior motive, they can take any morally correct action. And even if they have maybe ulterior motives or dirty hands, if it's morally correct, they can still do it. You know, and so that's one of the things where, like, I'm not a post-libertarian. Like, I very much want, you know, I'm not even full Hoppian in some far as I would go. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I, I want even maybe a little more liberty society than Hoppa. You know, I don't believe you necessarily to be in a covenant community. I'd like to live in a gated covenant community, but then the rest of the world, you know, it's like, yeah, like I'm fine with, diff you know, polycentric legal order, polycentric social yeah. order. I'm yeah. totally down with that. You know which i i know a lot of post-libertarians would tear their hair out right and yeah that's i 100 percent agree orders. with i 100 percent agree with what um, you just said there which is my problem too it's like the whole like like i would actually want to probably live in a more hoppy and covenant community style uh you know town or whatever and i i get a lot of value from hoppa but um but yeah i also i i don't feel a need to universalize that across the entirety of you know, the globe, or at least not, you know, not, not nearly to the degree it seems that some of the, uh, the post-libertarians do. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of like trying to integrate the best of all of these different ideas rather than like, 
becoming a ideologue of just one. You know what I mean? Like I think I think we can take the 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 wisdom of Tolstoy and we can take the insights of Hoppe and late Rothbard and we but we can even take you know insights from Hayek and you know and 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 try to incorporate well, them. And, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think there's some stuff from Hayek I I, I do appreciate. Um, although no, I I, I can. But, um, but Hayek but, can be somewhat, you know, like I, I know he'll be endlessly cited by the Lawbird. So I get why some yeah. in our spaces well, have sort of tried to try to steer away from him. But but yeah, I just think she, it's like, you know, and yeah. I love your approach, like deontology first. But uh, you t- like, to me, it's always like you always strive for both, especially because I, I agree, like if 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 you're all like if you're just pure um, deontology and zero utilitarianism it's like well maybe your your deontological framework is a little skewed because if if deontology always leads you into you know spaces that are completely only utilitarian i don't know i just i get a sense that like true utilitarianism and true uh deontology should like they should convene you know what i mean yeah well and i mean i think one thing that you know would be a good suggestion for really anyone, but especially those of us who are maybe libertarian, rejecting the post-libertarian, but more like on the right. Like I, I use the term Austro-libertarian for those of us who are maybe more traditional-minded, right-leaning than like the libertarian party has been for the last 50 years or whatever. Um, you know, or like, you know, often as we'll hear the term Mises caucus, which is like, I'm not technically part of the Mises caucus, but it's something where it's like, if you, if you applied it to me as a label, it's like, yeah, I'd prefer them over the other libertarian guys, you know, but I mean, have you seen the other libertarian guys? Like that's, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like, you're, that's not a shining endorsement. Uh, No, though I I will say, uh, um, it was actually, uh, David Hines is one of the Meacocks who, uh, got me onto Rothbard. So I do, I oh, do okay, cool. caucus some debts there. But I would actually suggest read something by political realists. Um, a lot of people cite um, Burnham's Machiavellians. I don't like Burnham very much. I know that's kind of controversial. I think he m- maybe has a little motivated reasoning in some of his conclusions he reaches. The Machiavellians is a great book. But what I always recommend is if you just want like an introduction to political realism and elite theory, um, someone who both Rothbard, Rothbard explicitly cites, I don't know if Hoppe ever cites him or just makes some passing references to him. Um, I recommend Gaetano Mosca's The Ruling Class, which is like a 500 page, like it serves to politics what man economy and state is to economics, it's like a politi- political treatise. It's in the Machiavellian tradition. So if you're sort of familiar with thinking about the prince and whatnot, it's sort of a development of that into looking at how our society is ordered and how do we draw out from that. And, you know, if you're a libertarian and you have these beautiful ideas, beautiful economics, but then you're wondering why do our politics always wind up in a burning flaming mess? You know, why is it that we have public nudity at the LP conventions instead of um, you know, some glorious leader coming forward to lead us on to the next golden age. It's like read political realism and understand what's going on in the background there. Because like one of the things that the post-libertarians say is, oh, 
well, you know, we you can't have perfect freedom because people will abuse it. And it's like true in the sense of you can't have positive freedom. You, you can have a lot of negative liberty before you open up problems. But, you know, at the same time, it's like the post-libertarians, you know, I, I don't think any of them have ill intentions. Like, I don't think they're like on their pathway to being like alt-right neo-Nazis or anything, which no. I know is a smear that some of them get tarred with. But at the same time, it's like they don't have the and some of them are better about this than others you know like a lot of the big name people i think are very like pete quinones who blocked me on twitter <laughs> uh i will give him credit for this like he he goes through and reads like hapa what must be done and whatnot which is sort of a political realist book um but getting that backbone really helps you understand and especially one of the things that and uh, I've mentioned this once on Caleb's podcast once, uh, Faith, Liberty, Praxis. Um, one of the things that is important to know is the distinction between like a civic religion and a humanitarian religion. You know, because obviously like here, a lot of us, our humanitarian religion is Christianity. But we also have a civic religion, you know, and a lot of people have a civic religion of like democracy or neoliberalism or whatnot that is defining a lot of their judgments and that's not necessarily wrong i mean obviously i'm also libertarians tend to be a little more skeptical of democracy than mainstream libertarians but you need to make sure what those assertions are when you're going in because if your assertion is well equality is really good for everyone well you might wind up seeing that backfire pretty quickly if you're saying Oh, everyone is equal. It's like, well, everyone maybe deserves a fair shake. But that in itself has all sorts of definitional issues. And believe me, when there's a fire in your house, not all firemen are equal. You know, and from a political <laughs> perspective, not all people are equal. You know, you do need to have some way of dealing with aggressors, um, which is what the post-libertarians are correct about. Yes. Um, the problem is you don't necessarily want an apex predator to deal with aggressors. You know, that's sort of where the post-libertarian theory breaks down for me. It's like, yes, you should kind of have, like, you should be able to go bump in the dark, but it shouldn't be your way of yeah. doing things by default. Well, it's sort of like, I don't know, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson at all? Yeah, that you should be a monster yeah, like incorporating right. the shadow or integrating the shadow. It's kind of like what uh, – it's, to me, it's like libertarians needed to do that. Post-libertarians kind of went too far, and they're like – it's not they're not integrating the shadow. They're like elevating it, I think, a little bit too high, which is like, – and I can appreciate – and again, they're not all the same. Some of them, I think, do a better job than others, like you put it. Um, but but I think it, it, it is sort of like we, we do need to – do a better job of incorporating political realism and incorporating uh, an understanding of, yeah, Hapa, what must be done. Like knowing that, like, it, you know, we aren't just going to like kumbaya our way to a stateless society. Like, you know, there, there's going to well, need to be some, like I said, like when you're in, when you're in a war, which is kind of what we're in, there's a difference between what you do on the battlefield and what you do in peacetime. And we have to recognize that we're in the battlefield right now. And so, the uh, unfortunately the the rules are different but at the same but that doesn't mean that we should just you know throw 
we, we shouldn't basically be like, to, to take a historical analogy, we shouldn't become Sherman burning down the South. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that's me, a, I've, uh, yeah. <laughs> once you read about that, it's a little bit of a black pill uh, to realize how many people just idolize the Civil War and the Union. And it's like, they did some bad stuff too, guys. Like, yeah. I know the whole slavery thing. Well, and I mean, that's a lesson maybe for libertarians to look at is like, well, why was Lysander Spooner? who's this great abolitionist and perfectly in line with us, he was not necessarily pro-Confederacy, but he was very against Lincoln. Like, he was yeah. not happy with Lincoln. And so we should ask ourselves, why is he concerned about this? Um, I think another thing to go from Jordan Peterson back a step further to Jung, um, yep. and you can maybe also bring in, like, Chesterton and whatnot here, um, you'll sort of make up a religion if you don't have one. And Absolutely. I think I think one of the post-libertarian responses to libertarianism, which is totally valid, is that a lot of libertarians are, you know, sort of Rothbard's modal libertarian, where if it if it's freedom and I like it, it's good. If it's freedom and I don't like it, it's bad. If it's unfree and I like it, it's freedom. And if it's unfree and I don't like it, well, that's not a problem for us anyway, because we're optimizing freedom. Um, right. You know really good libertarians don't have that problem so much because we understand you know it's it's really about aggression um you know like hoppe has this lecture in which she says basically it's like you know libertarianism is just basically applying the ten commandments correctly um and i'm sort of putting words in his mouth there but he sort of goes through how like thou shalt not steal and whatnot a lot of these are fundamentally aligned with libertarian moral axioms and so these people who are you know, the Lala, Lala, I forget what he calls them. Uh, but, you know, it's like the, the people who are trying to argue that we should, you know, it's like, don't get me wrong, like, obviously, legislative law is awful. But we're not getting rid of legislative law to have no law. We're getting rid of legislative law to have underlying moral principles, you want to call it natural law, God's commandments, you know, whatever you want to call that. That's what we're trying to get to as libertarians. We're not trying to get to nothing. You know, we're not nihilists. And that's something I think a lot of libertarians should remember is like it's not it's not about a battle, it's about a campaign. And the goal of any campaign is not the enemy, the goal is you. You know, the goal is how are we going to make a libertarian social order, which is our ideal, versus, you know, like any individual law. Like a lot of people, you know, like DeSantis and whatnot. People love him, people hate him. You know, I kind of like him just from the leftist tears on Twitter, but also it's like I wouldn't necessarily want him to be my governor. You know, it's like in an ideal world, we'd get rid of him too. Yeah. But, you know, it's like you do need to pay attention to that of like, you don't, not every step has to be a step forward. You can make a tactical retreat, but you don't want to set the retreat as your end goal. Yeah. No, I, I agree with like everything you just said. So, <laughs> um, we're, we're we're coming up on time here. Um, uh, yeah, this this ended up being a lot different than what I was expecting, but I'm glad because, uh, um, yeah, I, I think it was a really good conversation. I think that these are uh, kind of started out as a, a borders debate and kind of turned into I think a really important discussion. That you know, honestly, I'll probably you know maybe maybe I should have you back on at some point to go little bit deeper into because these are definitely the ideas that i've been wrestling wrestling with and trying to 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 sort of like 
you know, <laughs> uh, in my spaces as someone who's in the Mises caucus, you know, and but who has a lot of friends in the post-libertarian sphere, uh, you know, I've been trying to, to to wrestle with these ideas and try to get people to sort of, you know, see the things that, that I'm seeing. So, but yeah, I appreciate, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about uh, everything we ended up talking about. Um, you know, uh, where can people, you know, find you, follow you? And I think you, you do some little bit of writing and stuff, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so where can I people find all that? Writing, um, at K Willie writes is where you'll find me on Twitter. Um, I have a podcast. I don't really update. It's related to just writing in general, storytelling. Um, I also have, um, a games company, Lore Shaper Games. Uh, where I'm putting stuff out pretty frequently. I have like five releases this year so far. It's tabletop role-playing game stuff. Um, but mostly Twitter um, would be the best place to find me. And whenever I do anything else, I post about it on Twitter. So you'll if you're if you're looking for me and you want to see all my stuff, follow me on Twitter. You'll see it all eventually. I do have a sub stack as well. Um, I'm going to probably put my sort of prep notes that I sketched out while I was thinking about what would be the libertarian history of closed borders. I'm probably going to put those up there tonight or tomorrow so people can see sort of my whole thoughts on the things. I mean, again, my own position is actually pretty close to open borders because obviously, you know, in a private society, if you're invited in, you get to come in. Um, with a couple exceptions, obviously, if you're like fugitive from justice, maybe that creates issues. But um, I think it's important for us as libertarians to be able to make as broad an array of libertarian cases as possible so that we don't you know, gatekeep people who are good libertarians operating off principle because we yeah. don't like one of their positions. Because I saw a lot of people like, I think the original emphasis for this back in like September was because Dave Smith was fighting Cato and Reason people. And a lot of relatively good libertarians were like coming at Dave Smith over it. And it's like, um, actually, there are good libertarian cases to not agree with anything Cato or Reason says. Like, if Cato oh, yeah. says it, there's a good libertarian argument against it. Like, the exception being maybe, I think Reason's pretty good on cuts. It's like, if, but if Cato or Reason are saying, I can guarantee you there's a good libertarian case against whatever they're saying. You know, it's like, every time. Yeah. So, and I, you know, and I, think, like, I no, think we both did a good job at highlighting the, the sort of good faith, uh, dichot the, the good faith arguments on both sides, because it is a complicated issue. And, and yeah, I've always, you know, to me, it's not something to gatekeep over, and uh, you can be there. There are completely rational, cogent arguments for closed borders, even different than the one you made tonight. You know what I mean? And they're, they're ones that yeah. I usually reject, but it's like, but it's like, it's not like they're just authoritarian statists that that or or just yeah. like you know people just label like, oh, you're just a trumper. I mean, it's just it's just intellectually lazy and it's just because people are emotionally immature and triggered by uh but by you know anything that isn't just like the I mean Cato and, Re and reason are sort of like you know it's it's like their echo chamber and and they're they're yeah. so uh what's the medical term for like if you if you can't like handle anything like if you're germaphobe or uh you know I, I was just dirt. gonna <laughs> go back toward Carl Jung and just say neurotic um, oh yeah <laughs> which you know and, and that is one thing to point out is a lot of people who are really good principled libertarians wind up with takes that a lot of this view is really weird and it's often like one little point of economics or one little point of political theory or one little point of legal theory 
that we disagree with them on and that shapes a lot um of sort of the downstream conclusions you know like if you're if you're a mercantilist and you don't believe in economic competition being better for everyone you know suddenly it's like well wait a minute our states protect us from outsiders you know engaging in economic business and of course most libertarians are smart enough not to do that but you know it's like don't don't presume just because someone has an unpopular opinion that there's no principled justification for that you know it's like i see this with um ace a lot of people get really upset with ace on twitter over his open borders stance and it's like i don't understand it his extreme open borders like he has like an extreme like the government cannot enforce borders thing and i went to look at it and it started into numbers and said i'm not doing this i'm sorry i like ace but i can't read substack um like it doesn't make sense to me yeah numbers, and it's just they mean we, <laughs> but, we all you know, need like, to do I'm better sure yeah, t Twitter, unfortunately, uh, some people do it better than others, but we all need to be better. Like, I don't know, like another good example is I know he blocked you, which he does this to a lot of people, but like Pete Quinona is like, I love Pete. Like I've had him on my show. Uh, I go on his show um, when it's live sometimes and, and interact with him in the comments. And, um, you know, we disagree on a lot, but like you can value someone who has a different perspective from you because it, you know, again, it's that iron sharpening iron that, it's sort of like, you know, challenging your ideas, making sure that they're not stale, um, you know, and, and, you know, you can sometimes even in disagreement with people, learn from them and, you know, learn to integrate and incorporate the, the you know, something that like one of Jordan Peterson's rules is treat every person like they know something that you don't know. And it's like, it doesn't mean that you need to completely agree with them, but just that they, they might have a perspective or a, a nugget of the truth that, you haven't considered yet and even if it doesn't change your entire worldview it might allow you to to uh better distill or better you know to 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 even further materialize uh the thing you're trying to to bring into reality so um we could keep going on this for like 45 minutes yeah, but and, we're already and over time also, so i gotta i know, gotta cut it <laughs> yeah part of it also is just like the whole gatekeeping thing it's like we don't own the whole world. It's okay that people disagree with us. Even right. people who are maybe competing for the same labels and same spaces and whatnot. Like, unless you're Elon Musk, you don't own the whole planet and Elon Musk will only own <laughs> yeah. Mars. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all, this is all a yeah. point because Elon Musk uh, is just going to own uh, the, the whole world in the next couple of years. So can he, can he, Elon, yeah. can you buy Disney next, please? Oh gosh, I wish. <laughs> the is helping drop their stock value, so... Um, yeah, maybe. Hey, post the Britarians, make Musk <laughs> king of Disney. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it, yep. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks for coming on again, uh, Kyle, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely do this again sometime, and thanks, everybody, and for watching. Thanks for having me. Yep, you're welcome, and uh, until next time, everybody, remember, don't fear the fire. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.